You're listening to Tom's Talk Time, a podcast where real people sit down to tell their real stories. It's Tom's Talk Time with your host, Tom Marlowe. So I said to myself, Lauren, you're a little bit older, you're a little bit wiser. A few years have passed, you've had some good life lessons that have come come towards you. So all you're doing is repeating the steps. So you just have to start again, but you're starting again with things you already know. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tom's Talk Time. Joining me on today's podcast is Lauren Chaplin. She's the fashion designer and businesswoman behind the brand LJ Chaplin. In this episode, we discuss what it takes to turn a passion into a business. We talk about the knockbacks that Lauren's had and how her clothing takes women from the boardroom to the after five Remember, you can subscribe so you can get all of the episodes as soon as they become available. I'm on iTunes or SoundCloud. Here's Lauren. Hi, this is Lauren from LJ Chaplin. I'm here today talking with Tom from Tom's Talk Time. So Lauren, let's just start. You are obviously a fashion designer. You've got your own business. Yes. What was life like growing up for you? Were you always interested in fashion? Yeah, I guess I was. I was. I came from a pretty uh, normal family from the northern suburbs of Perth, born and bred. And I guess the the first time I identified that I may be creative or into fashion per se was when I came across some drawings that I had done as a 10, 11 year old. And I put them in this secret diary of uh, designs of models that I had drawn. And I had about 10 or 12 listed on there and I had named them all. And in retrospect now, I suppose that was my first start of getting into fashion, doing my creative little flair there as, as an 11 year old, not really knowing if that was going to go anywhere, but thinking they were these treasured pieces that I had to hide in a secret spot in my diary. Were you designing them as a designer or were you just doing it because you like drawing? I remember being particular and making sure each model looked different to the model I had just drawn. So one had brown hair, one had blonde hair, one had red hair, one had a green dress, one had a red dress, one had a black dress. So I remember making them specifically all different. So I interpret that as me being creative and and wanting to design them as opposed to just enjoying drawing because I would have drawn anything then. What about when you were a little girl? Did your parents dress you up like a lot of little girls get dressed up in beautiful clothes and, and cute little outfits? Do you remember that? Uh, well, I have a younger sister. We're only 15 months apart and there's a lot of photos of us when we were little dressed exactly the same. So I, I'd imagine my mum had a good time dressing us as identical twins almost. But oddly enough, I think I was a little bit boisterous as, as a young girl. So it is quite interesting that I've, I've sort of deviated off that path as such and, and got into the, the more fashion world. But I guess like any girl, yeah, you're always dressed up in, in party shoes and uh, the little white socks with the frills that are pulled over. So that, that was very 90s. <laughs> very, yeah, absolute classic. What about your childhood just in general? Was it a, a happy childhood? What was life like growing up? Yeah, I had a really good childhood. I've got a younger sister, a younger brother and an older, older half sister and yeah, really happy family. Um, played a lot of sport. I uh, love playing netball. I still play netball now and just very middle class and, and normal. That that probably the way I describe my, my upbringing was a very normal, happy, healthy childhood and, and I, I I'd probably say that now and anyone else that's had a similar upbringing would say it puts you in good stead for your adult life, that stability there, which I had. When you uh, got to high school, was a fashion designer something you had on the radar? I don't know about that at high school. I think I was a little bit wild in high school, but I think that was a good thing. I got it out in my teenage years. It was more... 
I knew I wanted to do more. I knew I wasn't going to be traditional and go to university and really pigeonhole myself with um, a study that I wanted to do. I I remember feeling a bit sort of still unsure, a bit wild, and maybe that led me to my creative path being that bit rebellious earlier on. So, yeah, no, fashion wasn't on the cards straight away as a teenager. It sort of came a little bit later. So what did you do after school? You went just into work? Yeah, I I had what I call a bit of a gap year. Um, So I did TAFE for 12 months and just sort of enjoyed being an 18-year-old and going out and and doing what 18-year-olds do. Uh, And then I secured my first full-time job and that really worked for me because I wanted to earn good money, work, feel like an adult, and then that cash flow allowed me to uh, go on holidays and travel and do the things that my friends at uni at the time weren't weren't fortunate to do. So I guess that was my trade-off is that if I was going to work full-time, then I was going to reward myself with some um, travel experiences. Was that a conscious decision that that you did that to, you know, I'm going to work because I want to travel and I want to do this? I think part of me felt that I was... A little bit inadequate because I hadn't committed to some form of study. So f- that for me was, okay, well, if I'm just going to go and work, which in hindsight is is a stupid way to think because anyone that works or commits to a study is committing to something. Um, so it shouldn't be balked at. But at the time I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to work, um, then yeah, I need to have some experience under my belt because that's what my friends are doing. They're gaining knowledge and experience by, by studying, um, even though they're still living with their parents. But I... Um, yeah, wanted to have that under my under my belt and something to add value to me as an individual. That's really quite grown up, I think, quite mature for someone of that age. Well, I suppose I was very defiant at that age. And, and unfortunately, at that time, my parents had split up. So that was a bit of a defining period for me, whether I realised it at the time or not. But I think the combination of that happening, me working full time and me making the decision that, you know, the first overseas trip I did was by myself. And I just sort of woke up one day and said, okay, I'm going to go save some money and I'm going to go on a Kentucky tour to Europe. And I think it nearly killed my parents. But also at the same time, they said that if anyone was going going to do it and be okay, we knew it was going to be you out of all the children. So I guess it was a bit of a turning point for me in some ways to define what the next decade of my 20s was going to be like, which was make it happen, really. Starting a a business and choosing to pursue your passions is quite a bold thing for people to do. Mm. You were involved in golf and and Mm -hmm. you took some inspiration from that. So tell me how all of that came together. So my first full-time position was at Mount Lawley Golf Club. Um, So I started working there full-time doing administration reception. So as a 19-year-old, my parents splitting up, me wanting to save and go away traveling, you know, money was a little bit thin and I suppose I was lacking a bit of inspiration and, and mentorship or someone to look up to a little bit. And I just noticed with working at a private golf club, the etiquette and the way that you must conduct yourself is at a very high regard and high esteem and that is for yourself and to others. And what I noticed with the lady members in particular was they'd go out and play their round of golf and they'd get changed in the locker room and have a shower, full face of makeup, full outfit change and then they would dine in the dining room for lunch with the white linen and the silverware. And the way that these women carried themselves and the way that they put themselves together was something that I admired and I, and it left an impression on me and it made me feel that I wanted to present myself in that same way it was just so classy and I guess that spurred me on onto 
figuring out what could I wear to work to kind of match them and, and for them to be proud of me and how I represented the golf club for them. Um, so that's how it kind of started in the sense of, I thought, okay, I want to make a good impression here. So I'll go down to the shops and I'll go buy some really nice corporate dresses. And one, I found they were out of my budget as a 19, 20-year-old. And two, a little bit too mature, I suppose. It was, it was, I felt a little bit too old in them. So that's what led me to go, okay, well, if I can't find it myself, I guess I could maybe make it myself. And, and that's sort of where the, the cogs of the wheel started turning, um, I guess, with my fashion career or my designing career. So you legitimately drew inspiration from these ladies yeah. to, to do it. And you actually named your designs after those ladies yeah. when you first started? Yeah, I did. So I actually launched at the golf club. Um, and that was the beautiful thing about working there is that they were very, in, including staff and members, were very supportive of my my journey there and what I wanted to do. So they allowed me to have a launch party there. And as an ode to the lady members that had left that impression on me, I named each garment after one of the lady members at the golf club, which I, I suppose they would assume that was a beautiful touch. That is lovely. Mm. And that I think as women too, to celebrate that, celebrate other women is great, really uplifting. Well, and you know, they, they were pretty tough on me. They, you know, I had to, I had to prove myself to them and make sure that I was a good young woman in society. And, and, you know, like I said, coming from high school and being a bit wild, they, it was probably a blessing that I got it out of the way early on because they would have seen that in me straight away. And, you know, I got countless updates on advice for life and what I needed to do and they really did leave an impression on me on um, how to be a woman really and I guess that was my way of, of thanking them or, or showing my, I guess, my respect for them. Now, I'm somebody that is not very artistic <laughs> uh, so if I was to look at a blank page and design something, I couldn't do it. I, I actually don't know how designers get their vision in their head onto a page. So how did you start when you, you know, these first designs, where do you begin? Well, for me, I'm not a natural, I didn't study fashion. So I didn't learn the principles of how to draw and how that creative process came. I, I studied art at school. So I already, already knew I had that little bit of a flair there. Um, but I downloaded a template. I did a little bit of a Google search, downloaded female silhouettes got the template right and then I sat there and I thought okay all I need is one it's like I suppose with you finding stories one lead one lead and I thought all I need is one little bit of inspiration and from there everything else will evolve and for me with the first collection in particular I I loved the 90s I loved the Spice Girls and I started searching and remembering how I felt around that time with what they wore and what they represented um, and the things I liked about them and just drew from there and then as I've progressed you become a little bit more business savvy you look at trends you forecast you predict you look at colors you look at fabric swatches so it becomes a little bit more technical and maybe a little bit less creative but if you wanted to know the truth of how it all sort of starts you just need that one idea or that one oh, I really like that I'm going to save that or remember that or write that down and then and then go from there. So it's one thing to have a nice design and, and be happy with how your design is looking, mm. but how do you lift that from the paper to make this happen for you? Lots of help, lots of local Perth help, I must say. I um, Before I launched, I probably spent about 12 months researching that. That's really what I did. I, I just sort of made connections, researched, just tried to find out where I could get assistance in the industry, in, in the local industry. Um, I think... 
a lot of people presume if you want to be successful with fashion, you need to go offshore, you need to be traveling all over the place, sourcing fabrics, but there is a lot of accessibility here in Perth. You just have to spend the time looking for it. Um, And to be honest, it's a more safer parameter to go around when starting because it allows you you know if you need if you've got a question you just hop in the car and 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 inquire you know you don't have to get on a plane to go to asia uh so i forgot the question tom what did you say (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm rambling i think i was sort of saying how um how you get it from from the paper to to a product but i might pick up on there do you think being perth starting in perth is that encouraging to a particular market? Is Do you reckon there's people out there that want to support local talent and local designs and that sort of thing? I think so now. I don't think so much a few years ago, truthfully. I remember really pushing the Made in Australia, Made in Perth angle and it didn't resonate too much. But I think with the information that's being broadcasted out now about, you know, being eco-friendly and wastage and seeing all these factories where, you know, it's basically child slave labour, I think people are becoming more morally conscious about their purchases. So it is a feel good for them. And also I think it helps them connect with the designer and they know a bit more about the why. So for me now, I, I push that it's made in Perth. Um, and it, it is it's better received, I think, than maybe five years ago. So going back to when you first started, you obviously got the designs made mm-hmm. and you got the dresses, you showed the golf ladies and you had your launch. Yes. Did you continue working in your normal job and designing on the side? Yes. So I was 25 at the time and I think I was a little bit naive with how how I was really going to do it. I, I had the support of the club and support of the members and the staff. Um, so I think there was always an exit strategy at some point. There was going to be a tipping point. But I also felt, one, very loyal to where I worked and two, I hadn't I hadn't f- finished what I wanted to achieve there. So for me, the lure of a promotion and that, that I guess that security of uh, income, work, job satisfaction, achievement – lured me away for a little bit and and that is a challenge I believe for most people starting in any new business that's their own it's not just fashion there is that tipping point of how much do you give here and how much do you give there and and what do you really want and it goes up and down because I think fear sometimes drives you as well so then you start going back to what's safe and what's um, security but then that gets mundane and boring and you feel like there's more to give so then you go back to what your heart really tells you to do Although I had this success immediately and this, I guess, ego boost on on what I could achieve, I think fear and a bit of self-doubt took me back to, I'll just stay and work at the golf club and I'll just work on my career there. And then on a personal sense at that particular time, um, a little bit of heartbreak doesn't really help with your decision making. And, And I also found it hurt me with designing. I found that I emotionally couldn't design or give the love that I wanted to give to creating something because my heart hurt so much and I felt that I wasn't doing my brand justice so I basically retreated that's the only way I can probably describe it but still achieving in some respects. That's interesting actually with um, your product it comes from you Mm. so when you're going through those personal things it's hard because like you are your instrument like you are literally it. Yes. Um, So it becomes hard. I think another thing too is when it's a hobby and a passion, Mm. there's that very fine line between like I'm doing this and it's turning into work and do I really want to 
be doing this? Is it not fun anymore? Yes. And some people, especially musicians and artists in that regard, you know, you'll find some of the most beautiful songs that they create are within heartbreak. So, you know, they find that they probably produce their best work when they're they're so heartbroken. I think Chris Martin from Coldplay, I think he does his best music when he's hating himself and hating life. Uh, when he's happy, I don't particularly like his songs so much, which is interesting. So for me, it worked in reverse. When I was emotionally sad and hurt, I just, I couldn't give. But when I was happy... I could give. So, yeah, I think it works for different people and and you're right, same thing with being a hobby or a business. You don't you don't want to not enjoy it and make it a chore because that's not why you started it in the first place. Exactly. So, was this around the year 2014 when you stepped back from it? Yeah, towards the end of 2014, I did take a little bit of a break and when I say a little bit of a break, probably about 24 months I did, yeah. But I must say from a career point of view, that's when I upped the ante in my work at the golf club and really achieved and, t- and kicked goals and ticked boxes off um, and in hindsight, I think that helped me be what I am today with my business as well. Sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards, well, that's what everyone says um, and I guess that's in my case it was true. So so how did you get back on the, you know, how did you get back into it and what gave you that inspiration to start up again? A similar thing. I um, I started to feel working there, I had achieved all I needed to achieve and there was this little voice in my head that said, Lauren, you know, did you really give your label a crack? Did you really try? Because if I had really tried and it didn't work out, then I'd go, okay, no stone wasn't turned. But at this point, time I thought no I haven't really tried I've I've ran away from it so I don't want to be that person that looks back with regret or made decisions out of safety and security and fear so towards the end of 2016 I said okay I'm going to do this I'm really going to make a change and I knew to make a change it had to be leaving the place that had given me so much through my whole 20s to make that clean break to start again. But I felt that I was pre- a bit more prepared. I had had the knowledge and the experience to to start again and not only start again, but get it right. In terms of making that decision, once again, mm. I think that's a very mature decision. <laughs> very well thought out. I'm sounding really good on this podcast, I must say. Yeah, you really are. Uh, but how do you then say, okay, I'm going to give it another crack? Where do you begin? Where do you start? I felt at the time that I had learned enough initially and I was just repeating the steps. So I said to myself, Lauren, you're a little bit older, you're a little bit wiser. A few years have passed, you've had some good life lessons that have come up, come towards you. So all you're doing is repeating the steps. So you just have to start again, but you're starting again with things you already know. So for that, I said, doing that means I'm going to make less mistakes, um, which is what happened. And also... I probably was a bit more open with my, not my story, but the the why. And so that gave me that confidence a little bit more. You know, it becomes a bit more endearing, a bit more engaging, and it opens you up to people a little bit more. And then people might give you a bit more of a break than what they did last time. So you've got to be a bit more open to give first to then receive. And that's what I did. I, I was really an open book. I thought if I'm going to do this, I have to be really open and willing to listen and receive but also give back as well and might have to do that first before expecting anything in return. Absolutely. I think in terms of business and Mm. branding, where it is right now, it's all about the stories behind Mm -hmm. the brand. Yes. 
But it is those stories and those stories of success, also stories of where people have gone wrong. It makes people relatable and, you know, people connect 100% more. I do. I I think people were more willing to help me. Not that I was, you know, playing the victim or going, oh, boo-hoo me, I've come full circle or anything like that. You know, I'm only 30. It's not like I've got, got that many life lessons under my belt. But being more transparent probably helped me get to the next step or get that door opened ajar a little bit further. So I guess my advice to anyone that would be listening is just be a little bit more open and like I said before, give first without expecting anything in return. That attitude will work better for you than expecting people just to give straight to you and, and, and you just are the receiver. So tell me a little bit, a little bit about your designs now. Mm-hmm. And, and so you started with wanting something a bit corporate in yes. the budget and also that you felt comfortable wearing. So is that where it continued? Well, the tagline for my business is boardroom to the after five. So I wasn't quite working in the CBD. I was working um, at Mount Lawley actually just around the corner from here. So I wanted to wear a dress that I could wear to work, be professional, have meetings, um, you know, associate with members. Um, But then if my girlfriends wanted to go for an after work drink or I had a meeting after work or somewhere else I had to be, I wanted to be able to have that outfit carry me to the after five and not feel like, oh, I'm in a stuffy business shirt or, you know, I'm wearing trousers. I wanted to go, you know, I look I look good. I look professional and classy, but I don't look too uh, rigid in my work outfit where I feel like I could take it into the evening with with ease basically yeah so what is it about your dresses that you think can do that what what was that key for me it was the cut and the fit so the cut had to be classic not dated and the fit had to really fit the wearer like a glove I I did find some of the outfits that I was trying on prior to designing they just didn't fit me right or the cut wasn't quite right so the designs themselves are quite classic and simple um, but the fit and the cut is what I believe is my point of difference how do you want women to feel when they wear your designs? I think women have a lot going on in their day, as do men. The last thing they want to worry about is, is my shirt tucked in? Do I look okay? You know, is there food on my shirt? Do I look classy in this? I take the ease out of that. When you wear an LJ Chaplin dress, I can guarantee you will look 10 out of 10. So then you can get by with the rest of your day. You can have those hard-hitting questions come at you. You can have that uncomfortable meeting. You can deal with that person that was horrible to you on the phone because you're going to be looking 10 out of 10 in an LJ Chaplin dress. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, just going a little bit back to the design process, Mm. describe to me what it's like when you've you've had this vision in your head. Mm. You've put it – I'm assuming you actually hand-draw – the designs, is that how it works? Yes, yeah. yeah. So I, I do all the drawings um, and I get the fabric swatches in and, and that, that can sometimes be a little tricky. That, that I do find that's a risky part because the design doesn't vary from when I first do it to the end product. I must say I'm, I'm pretty strict on and disciplined on how I want the dress to look. But what is risky is the fabric and that's either the combinations or so what you're doing is you're making a decision on a fabric based on a tiny little swatch, a little piece of fabric. So what you do is you go, okay, I think this will look good on a dress. I'll get some sample fabric in. 
and then you make it into a dress. And sometimes that little swatch to making it into a dress can totally change the look. Um, and you go, oh, I think I've made the bad decision or yet yeah, perfect or, oh, it's not quite what I wanted, but it, it's near enough. So I find that's more of a risk. That's where I find choosing the right fabrics and the colours gives me a little anxiety, I must say. <laughs> and describe to me what, what it's like when you, you've had this vision, you've hand-drawn it, you've got the samples and it's put together mm. and you see the end product. There's a, a dress there. What What's that like? For me, where I get a real rise is when I get it right, when I put it on myself. So I, I, I kind of use myself as my own sample model and it's right and I know I'm going to sell this. I know this is going to work. Um, that's a really good feeling. And then at the back end, when I'm actually selling it and a, a girl buys it and she says, yes, this is, you've read my mind. You've, this is exactly what I wanted. That's another, that's a, that's reassuring to me knowing that I've got it right because everyone has their own unique signature and their style. It'd be arrogant of me to assume that everyone is going to agree and like my style but when you find you've got your little pack of people that yes Lauren you're on the right track I find that very rewarding. That was actually going to be my next question Mm. when you're doing designs and and like you said before music and and there's those sorts of fields where it is very much you. Yes. Have you had moments where your designs haven't been received very well or someone's been a bit too critical and how do you take that when it's such a personal thing? Yes initially at the start it really it really hurt me I, I took it as that they didn't like me as a person and it took a little while to build up I guess some resilience or some some toughness to the rejection and at the end of the day it could be a number of things it could be that they can't afford it they could be like oh, I love the dress, but I don't want to tell her that I can't afford it because I'm waiting for payday next week. Or, you know, it might be just a little bit too longer than what they were hoping for, or it might just feel a little bit tight across the bus. So it's just not enough for them to go to that next point of actually making the purchase, or they might simply not like it, you know. You have to say to yourself, it's not because they don't like me as a person, they just don't like that dress. But that's not to say they're never going to be a customer ever again. It's just that particular style. It hurts at the start, but I promise you, you will build some resilience on that. And and you have to to be and I think that's in any business you have to build that that thick skin around you because otherwise you're never going to be able to move forward you just mentioned business Mm. this is a business Mm. and like it's hard for a lot of people you know they're doing designing and and things like that you're Mm -hmm. very hands-on across the business as well so you've obviously had to develop a lot of skills in that sense it's not just I'm drawing pretty dresses no you know so how how has your journey been with that I think the advantage of working, just generally working and picking up those career skills has put me in good stead for actually running a business. To be honest with you, I don't necessarily align myself with being a fashion designer. I align myself with being a fashion business owner because you can't have one without the other. Um, And that's why a lot of people go into business on a fashion sense together because one's maybe got more of a creative mindset and the other one's got a bit more of a business mindset. And that's really how they become successful because it's a bit of a yin and yang balance because you could create beautiful, beautiful designs, but if you haven't got the right business practices behind you, no one will ever, no, no one will ever see your designs, and no one will ever appreciate them. Absolutely, and it's just as important, isn't it? You know, you've got, you can't have one without the other. One thing I've noticed with the industry, and this is no disrespect to the industry at all, but one thing I have noticed um, since entering it is that maybe there's not enough of the business side that people need to touch on. I think. Um, 
people do get caught up in the the glamorous side of saying you're a fashion designer and going to fashion shows but and and creating these beautiful pieces but really that is a small percentage of what you do there's a lot of background admin work steaming clothes fixing hems you know price points margins forecasting like there's a lot of I wouldn't say mundane things but there's a lot of disciplined actions that you must take to make that dress sell and be successful and move on to the next design what do you think um the best piece of advice that you've had or, or what's the, the key thing that you've learned in terms of business mm. along the way? I contacted Kylie Radford from Morrison when I f- made the decision to start again and I said to her, listen, this is my situation. I'm worried that I'm going to have to invest all this capital to create this, you know, 25-piece collection and do this big hoo-ha launch. And she said, just start with one. She goes, start with one dress, one good quality dress, and then go from there. She goes, I, I just started with a pair of pants. And coming from someone that's so successful here in Perth and based in Perth and is um, nationally and internationally known, that was very reassuring to me that you've got to start humble and get it right and then do another piece and get that right and then do the next one and all you're doing is setting the template for success because you've started correctly the first time. So that was reassuring for me that I didn't have to go big and crazy to start off with. I just had to progressively build and rely on quality and control, quality control from there with that. Now that you have started again and Mm. it's been obviously quite Mm. successful, which is fantastic, do you feel pressure to keep designing and and to keep moving forward? A little bit, yes. I think particularly when I actually had a a big launch party in October last year, I noticed that there was all this hype build up and it was an amazing feeling and and it was nice to kind of announce to everyone, this is is what I'm doing, I'm here again and, and how amazing is this? I did notice there was a bit of a, a real drop really quickly and I, I started to actually have that fear and doubt seep in again of going, what am I doing? I'm a fraud. Um, this is embarrassing. I'm not going to sell anything. I've got to quickly be reactive instead of proactive. So yeah, there was. There was a little bit of doubt creeping in and pressure to keep producing, but I just had to, you know, maturity and be be wise in myself and go, no, Lauren, don't do what you did last time. You've made this decision now and, and don't let the fear take over. Be strong in your decision and it, it'll be it'll be all okay. When you first started, you drew inspiration from the golfing ladies. Mm. Where do you draw your inspiration from now? I wish I could say I was as, as uh, creative as what I once was before. Um, I'm a little bit more business minded, I must say. I do look more at trends and what's in right now and what are people talking about and what are people liking so I'm, I'm probably not as creative as as I once was which is a little bit sad but you've actually probably inspired me now to be a little bit more out there but more what everybody else is wearing what people like I find just chatting to people now and getting their opinions um, I probably absorb it a lot more I used to maybe be a bit deflective of what they thought because I didn't want to be influenced by what others other sort of my desires designs but now I really take on everybody's feedback and if I do agree with what they're saying I'll tweak it and make that change or or try that pattern or try that color because that's me listening to what my customers want and if I'm listening to them and doing what they've asked me I'm imagining I'm probably going to get a sale from that and that's going to take me to the next sale so yeah I, I find I probably listen more than um 
then make my own decisions in that sense. I, f- I find out what other people are, are into and, and then dictate my designs from there. And you've had a lot of success on the East Coast as yes. well, haven't you? Yeah, that's been a nice surprise actually, um, namely Melbourne and Sydney. Um, they have been really supportive of, of my designs um, and that's 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 great because little old me here sitting in Perth, it's nice to be accepted without knowing much and that says to me that they trust in my designs and that's a, that's given me a lots of confidence and credibility. Looking forward to the next five years and then mm. maybe ten years, what are your what what are the goals for you personally and for your business? For me it is to keep I suppose this is what everybody says, they want to keep growing and keep learning, but I want it to slowly build, slowly build, slowly be successful and just keep burning at it. Um, I think there's this need and expectation to be successful overnight and have this big Instagram following and have all these sales and, you know, go from one team member to 10 team members overnight. That's not necessarily the case. I just want to be able to grow it, build it, become bigger, more reliable, more credible and be that go-to brand for work attire. You've obviously had a long time to think about fashion Mm. and I can imagine you're probably thinking about it all the time. Yes. How would you define it for you? For me, fashion, and I've always thought this within myself, even probably before I even entertained the idea of starting a fashion business, was you as an individual have to know your signature. You have to know your style. And that doesn't mean it's the same for everybody else. And that means that what someone else wears is incorrect. You just have to know you. So for me, I always had my style. I already knew what suited me. I already knew what I liked. And I portray that in my designs. But I don't uh, judge or discriminate anybody else that wears something different to what I like. I just know that that's their signature. And the ones that are all over the place with the trends, they've got a little bit of work to do. They've got to know what they want to look. They want to know what they portray because... People can see that, you know, when you see someone that's got their signature, they, they got it all together. So that would be my advice for people is to work on your signature style, work on what you, what represents you and, and adopt that into everyday outfits. You can notice when somebody's got something that they feel good wearing. Yes. I reckon they walk a little higher. Yes. And they have a smile and, and a bit of a spring in their step too. Yes. It's so important. Oh, definitely. I think... Yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. It's your signature. It is. It's your signature, how how you present in what you wear and feeling that confidence in what you wear. And it doesn't have to be the most trendy thing. It could be the same black shirt that you've worn for the last five years. But if that makes you feel the person that you truly are, then that will shine out to everybody else to see. Well, Lauren, it's been lovely getting to know the face behind the brand. Where can people go to find your designs and and have a look? You can find me on www.ljchaplin.com or I'm also listed on the Iconic. So that's where a lot of my sales came from Sydney and Melbourne. So yeah, I've got free shipping on both though. So check out my label first. (laughs) Lauren, thank you so much for coming and having a chat today. Thank you, Tom. That was another episode of Tom's Talk Time. If you liked it, make sure you give it a rating and let me know or tell a friend. All of Lauren's details are in the description of the episode. Now, if you have somebody that you would like to hear on Tom's Talk Time, 
make sure you get in touch and let me know who they are. You can send me an email via the send email function on the Tom's Talk Time Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at Tom Marlowe and let me know. Thanks again for tuning in and I will see you again next time. Mm -hmm.